Welcome to the online service at CIV. We're continuing our message series called The Difference, and we've been tracing the impact of the Christian movement throughout history, looking at different arenas of human life and experience. A lot of people have questioned whether Christianity has been a help or a hurt to humanity. Christian faith has taken many different forms throughout the years uh, and has been practiced in a variety of ways. But let's get our bearings by going to the source, Jesus Christ himself. What did Jesus come into the world to do? What was he hoping to accomplish? In the Gospel of Luke, we find written documentation of a time when Jesus clearly stated his purpose. Essentially, Jesus came to set people free. When Jesus started his ministry, he went to a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he read from the prophet Isaiah about the role of the Messiah. Here's what he said. Here, here's what he read. Luke 14, 18 through 21 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They didn't realize it at first, but Jesus was talking about himself. He is the fulfillment of this scripture and many others. What a powerful statement of Jesus' purpose. To proclaim freedom to the captives. To set free the oppressed. There were huge Racial barriers during the days of Jesus. The adversaries of Jesus believed they were superior and other people were undeserving of their latter level of status and they were inferior. This attitude of superiority crept, <laughs> this attitude of superiority crept into the culture and became the dominant way of thinking. Hasn't this attitude been repeated throughout the centuries? How often has one group of people said, we're superior and you are inferior. Other groups are undeserving. Basically, whatever part, uh, whatever group I'm a part of is superior, the best. Many great evils have been committed in our world that stem from this kind of attitude. In the past few years, you've probably heard buzzwords. We've all heard buzzwords like systemic racism, our identity politics. You've heard politicians promise unity. For all the attention it's getting, do you think our country is getting more unified or more divided? The battle lines have been drawn between different types of people. 
there is division now. There was division in Jesus' day. And throughout his ministry, Jesus smashed through all kinds of barriers that people place between themselves and others. Barriers of race, gender, socioeconomics, and more. Barriers that keep threatening to imprison and segregate people throughout history. Jesus taught his followers that these man-made barriers don't matter. They don't prevent a person from experiencing God's love and forgiveness, which is the main thing that we need to experience. In the passage we read from Luke 4, Jesus declared his purpose to give all people a chance to experience true freedom. We who are followers of Jesus are commissioned to move the mission forward that he started. This topic sheds light on a question we've been asking throughout this series. Is our world better or worse because of the presence of Christianity? To help answer that question, we've been tracing the spread of the Christianity just after Jesus completed his worth, his earthly work, ascended into heaven, and began to work through the church, who is the body of Christ. And we've been looking at this as it's been recorded in uh, the, God, the book of Acts. So we'll, we're going to see today that one way Christians carry out his purpose is by tearing down racial barriers. Let's look again at the spread of the Christian movement and see how the early church addressed an issue of prejudice and superiority that rose up. A conference of church leaders is recorded in Acts 15, and in, in the Jerusalem Council, as it, as it became called, uh, they were deciding important issues about racial barriers. So we're going to back up to the end of chapter 14 of Acts and start there. From there, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. After they had arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent considerable time with the disciples. So here's the big news. Paul and Barnabas brought faith and light to the Gentiles, and God opened the door to that. Um, and this, you might be wondering, what what is a Gentile? Well, if you were to look, up Gentile in the English dictionary, this is what you'd find. Gentile, a person of a non-Jewish nation or a non-Jewish faith, a pagan. <laughs> As an adjective, that's the noun, of or relating to the nations at large as distinguished from the Jews. In the New Testament, which was written in Greek, the word Gentile is ethnos, which literally means nations people. 
So it's, it's another ethnic group besides the Jewish folks. But the sense is that Gentile, they're people from an ethnic group that's not allied, allied with the, the Jewish nation or Israel. So back to the end of Acts 14. God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. This was great news. God's kingdom was expanding. And in fact, um, if it had never gone beyond the Jewish people, um, very few of us would have been invited into God's family. <laughs> I'm not a Jew. And so I would have missed out, and that would have been tragic. So the church in Antioch was celebrating the crossing of racial barriers. And it's important to understand that this church was racially diverse. Look at the description of the makeup of the Antioch church from Acts 13. You find it in Acts 13. Barnabas was a teacher in the church, he was Jewish, but a Cypriot, which means he is from the island of Cyprus. Simeon, who was also called Niger, in the Greek, Niger means black or dark in color, and so we don't know where he's from. We only see this indication of his skin color. Menaean, uh, a close friend of Herod the Tech, so he, he grew up in the region of Judea. Saul, who grew up in Tarsus, which is pretty close to Antioch. And then Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is in North Africa, near modern-day Libya. So this church, Antioch, was a mix of all kinds of people. <laughs> and now let's look at what happened in chapter 15. 15 15.1. Some men came down from Judea. These men were from the official church in Jerusalem, but I don't think they were officially sent by the church in Jerusalem. They began to teach the brothers. We don't know why they came down. They were not sent from the church, but probably um, they took it on themselves to bring this message. And here's the message of these false teachers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Circumcision was a part of Jewish custom. And essentially, this group from Jerusalem came to Antioch to make the announcement. It's fine if these outsiders want to become Christians, but they're going to need to do things our way. They're going to have to fit into our customs. So they were teaching that Gentiles needed to be circumcised according to Jewish laws and customs. Paul and Barnabas next were appointed to go to the Jerusalem church to settle the issue once and for all. And the whole trip, they were going to churches and sharing the news that 
Gentiles are getting saved. They're coming to Christ in droves. And so when they arrive in Jerusalem, here's what happened. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders. These were the official leaders, recognized leaders of the church, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, let's call this the Jesus Plus group. So, for this group, if you aren't the right nationality, then grace isn't enough. You need to also keep Jewish customs and laws. The Jesus Plus group would not let this issue go. So the official church leaders convene in a council to make a decision. The apostles and elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you. God does give, he, he did this. <laughs> he opened the door that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And you you can read this story in uh, Acts 10. But what happened is Peter, who was a Jewish man, uh, he helped an Italian centurion soldier come to Christ. And before he went to meet with Cornelius, he he had a vision, and in the vision, there was a, a a bunch of unclean food in the uh, in, in the Jewish laws. There was unclean clean food to the Jews, and he had a vision, and it says that a, a blanket was spread out. And all this food was on it, reptiles, pigs. <laughs> uh, they don't eat pork. And so in the vision, God said, take and eat. And he said this three times. He was making a point. <laughs> so we, we need to include Gentiles in this, in, in, what God's doing here in the church. So Peter reminds them of this story, and then he states clearly, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did also to us. Cornelius, all of his relatives, all of these Gentiles, they got the Holy Spirit just like the the apostles did. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Outer distinctions do not matter. They are of no real value. All of us have this one thing in common. We need our hearts cleansed because of sin. 
cleansing is available through Christ to all who follow him as Lord. Now then, Peter says, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' neck that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? Why would you give them a bigger burden and load to carry because Jesus came to set people free? This is why he came. On the contrary, it goes on, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way they are. Then the whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the wonders and signs God had done through them among the Gentiles. So they received the correction from Peter. He was the right guy to speak up, and it really helped. And then everyone was able to take it in. They took it in. They they were corrected. Here's the point and the reminder we need today. God makes no distinction between peoples. Just like those Jewish Christians struggled to live up to Jesus' radical liberty, so too have Christians through the centuries. Those Christians feared that they would lose their Jewish culture, and they really struggled to believe that Gentiles from all nations could just come into the church. For some, it is still a temptation to use external distinctions to divide, dominate, and damage others. Outer distinctions, your nationality, your education, your wealth, your skin color, make no difference in regard to access to God and His grace. So, Let's take some time now and ask and answer the question, who were the specific people who worked to tear down racial barriers and overthrow open slavery in the modern world? First of all, who worked to tear down racial barriers? Christians. John Dickerson says, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. is, without a doubt, among the most influential and successful advocates of racial equality and human rights. A survey of his sermons, speeches, and writings makes it clear that King was motivated and shaped by the teachings of Jesus Christ and the Christian Bible. As we know, uh, Martin Luther King urged people to judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And he he brought a lot of change. God used him to bring a lot of change in the world. Christians were also the driving force in the end of open slavery. Throughout history, slavery has been the norm, not freedom, the freedom that we enjoy. Slavery was the norm in the Mayan culture, Egyptian culture, Roman culture, Arab culture, Greek culture, and hundreds of others. But Christians 
worked tirelessly to end that norm. And I'd like to share some specific names of people in history that inspire me. Harriet Tubman. She was called Moses because she led so many people out of slavery. Over 300 people that she led out of slavery. And her faith was so strong that as she was being traced by the, chased by the slave owners, she would ask God for direction. She would cry out loud to God, help me to know which direction to go here, God. And she even prayed for her unsaved master. She believed God was real. And she lived a faith that took action. William Wilberforce is another person who worked tirelessly to end slavery. And William Wilberforce, he he was not a humanitarian. He wasn't a good person. He didn't care about slaves until he became a Christian. And he started reading the New Testament. And he wrote a book titled Real Christianity in which he wrote how God opened his eyes to the evil of slavery. He gave the rest of his life to ending slavery in Britain and the effects of his work impacted much of our world today. John Dickerson wrote, Wilberforce remains credited more than any other individual with ending the slave trade in the vast British Empire, including India, which had an estimated 8 to 9 million indigenous slaves in the Hindu caste system. Wilberforce's success in ending slavery uh, gave momentum needed to end it in other parts of the world in the United States in the 1860s, and in Africa in the 1890s. The Quakers also were a group of Christians who worked to end slavery, and here's a paraphrase of what their approach was. If you read your Bibles, you will see that slavery is declared evil by God. Anyone who claims to be a Christian while owning a slave is not a true follower of Christ. And all those who sit by while others are enslaved also cannot claim to be loving their neighbor as themselves, as Jesus taught. That was key for them, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Therefore, as Christians, we give our lives and fortunes to end this evil in our land. What has motivated Christians to tear down racial barriers? The driving force of Christ followers is their desire to follow the Lord Jesus, who, when he started his ministry, gave a statement of his purpose to proclaim liberty to the captives, literally and spiritually, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus' followers work to set people free on his behalf. We're his hands and feet now. God gives us a vision 
of racial unity in heaven that is compelling. This is where God is taking history. Heaven is ideal. And here's a description of what's going to happen in heaven in Revelation 7-9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is a picture of heaven. God is moving history toward that end. The church is supposed to be a little colony of heaven. We, we need to make no distinction in the way we view people because God doesn't. He doesn't make any distinctions. We need to love and serve all people, not just those we know and love and who are just like us. <laughs> we need to love everybody. We need to refuse flat out to exclude people that are different than us. Jesus didn't. He was known to be a friend of all people. As I always do, I want to encourage you to take some next steps today. And here are my suggestions. You may have others that you want to take. But first of all, my next step today is to respond to the gospel of grace for the first time. It will change your view of people as you continue to follow God and give you an abundant life. And then another step would be to confess any prejudice, superiority, or racial barriers that you've put up. Tear those down. Those are ugly. (laughs) Barriers of superiority are very ugly. And then another step could be to forgive any hurts that you've experienced from prejudice and work through any bitterness. God will help forgive you. Uh, he, he will help you forgive, basically. The first step is to make a decision to forgive. And then the second step, which takes longer, you can make the decision to forgive in a moment. But the second step of emotional forgiveness takes a while. And God will work with you and he will help you work through the emotional aspects of forgiveness. But you need to decide. There are two aspects of forgiveness, decisional and emotional. And God will help you work through the emotions as it comes up. And you just, when it comes up, you go back to, the fact that you've decided to forgive them and ask for God's help. So those are some steps. You may have others to take that God has laid on your heart. And I want to ask you to pray with me. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. It sets us free, God. It, You, Lord Jesus, obviously came to set us free spiritually and physically, and one day uh, we will be totally free in heaven. And I, I pray that, God, we as a church 
could work toward breaking down barriers and getting to that day, looking forward to that day when all people, nations, tribes, and tongues are praising your name in heaven. We ask for this help in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.